Enjoy living balanced. Some people work way too much. They're neglecting their own health. They're neglecting their family. Or some people are lazy bums and they work way too little. Some people, um, when it comes to witnessing about Jesus, they never witness. They never share their faith. They never talk to anybody about the things of God. Other people are so weird. Everything out of their mouth has to do with the Spirit. And people don't even understand what they're saying because they're so weird when it comes to sharing their faith. Some people um, are always playing. They stay up till 3 o'clock in the morning playing Fortnite and video games. That's right. And then some people, they never play. They sit at home. They mope around all day and never have any fun. Our goal is to find the balance in every area of our life. This is not something you do one time after this sermon and you're done. It's something that you have to do every single season of your life. Find the balance in your relationships. Find the balance in how you're spending your finances. Find the balance between work and play and, and friends and family. It's a constant struggle that we all go through. Excess is the enemy's playground. He loves to try to deceive us into getting too far to one side or too far to the other side. You know, I like to have visuals for you. And so I have this, uh, these scales that I actually have at my house. And uh, I'm sure you've seen something like this before. A lot of people, you know, when it comes to their finances, they spend a lot more than they make. They get things on credit. They're going into debt left and right over things that don't even matter. And then some of you in here are such tightwads. You have so much money in your bank, yet you will go to Goodwill and spend $2 on a pair of pants that's six inches too short for you <laughs> rather than spending $40 and getting you a pair of pants that actually fits you. You never spend money going out to eat. You're using all your money to pay for your grown children's bills. You, my friend, are out of balance. Some people work so hard, their whole thought life is all about their business, how they can succeed, what they're going to grow in their business. And they do that at the expense of their family. Their spouse is at home alone, and they think this, man, one day I'm going to get to spend time with my children. One day, once the business grows, once we pay off the car, once we're able to afford that nicer house, then I'm going to spend time with my family. The problem is, your family may not be here long enough for you to do that. you got to get in balance today. Am I speaking to anybody here today? <laughs> I've already seen like 12 of you nudge the person next to you. Do not do that where I can see. That's very embarrassing for that person. But anyway, and so it says in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be well balanced, for the devil roams about like a lion, seeking whom he can devour. Just as a side theological note, I want you to know the devil is not a lion. We serve the lion of Judah, which is Jesus Christ, but it does say he roams about like a lion. And what this is saying is every area of our life where we are out of balance is an open door for the enemy. It can even be something good. It is good to give and help people, but if you're doing that and paying other people's bills and they need to learn how to pay their own bills, you're out of balance. Just because somebody asks you for money, that is not a sign from God that you're supposed to give them money. If that was the case, then the government is a sign from God because they're always asking you for money. A lot of people are very deceived thinking, well, they asked me for money, so that must be God. No, that's not God. You have to decide, how am I going to spend the money that God's trusted me with in balance? We have to do this with our time and our energy, our caring. Every minute of your life you spend over here is a minute that you're not spending over here. So you must constantly decide which one is what God wants me to do. 
Um, when I bought my first house, I was 20 years old, and um, I did not know anything about gardening at the time. I do know a lot about it now. Um, and I saw these landscapers across the street doing some stuff at this other house. So I brought them over to my house. 20 years old, I just got married, having kids. And um, I said, listen, man, I, I want you guys to give me an estimate on the most beautiful yard in the neighborhood. I want to have the best garden in the whole neighborhood right over here in this section. I did some research, and this is before there was internet. I said, I want some azalea bushes over here that bloom in the spring and the summer. I want some gardenia bushes over here by the door because it smells real good whenever they bloom. I want a fruit tree around back, a palm tree around front. I want a herb garden over here. I had it all laid out what I wanted them to do. When I got done explaining it to the guy, here's the last thing I said. I said, I'm a very busy man. I have a family. I work a lot. I have kids. So I want you to build me a totally maintenance-free yard. I don't have time to water it. I don't have time to weed anything. I don't have time to put fertilizer out. The only thing I want to worry about is cutting the grass. Everything else, I want it to be beautiful but maintenance-free. You would have thought I told the funniest joke in the world to this guy. He was a Mexican guy, and he was a lot shorter than me. I'll never forget, he laughed so hard, his pen came flying out of his shirt. And then all of a sudden, he called his two buddies over that were working for him. And I thought, what's he laughing at? What's so funny? He said something to them in Spanish, and they all started laughing at me. The whole group's just pointing and laughing. He put his hand on my shoulder. I'll never forget. He said, amigo, if you want a beautiful garden, you're going to have to learn how to be a gardener. <laughs> I learned something that day. A beautiful life does not come without expense. We have to constantly ask ourselves, is what I'm spending my time on accomplishing what God wants me to accomplish? You have to make a decision who you want to be in life and then take steps to become that person. What do you want said about you at your funeral? What kind of legacy do you want to leave? How do you want people to remember you? If you want to have a healthy marriage or be a good husband or be a good wife, you can't just want it. You have to take steps to accomplish that. You have to study, read books. You have to get around couples that have a good marriage. You have to do things that accomplish the beautiful garden you want to have. You can't just sit back and expect to have beautiful roses, have fruit trees that bloom and have all these great things without ever putting in any effort. We have to constantly evaluate how I'm spending my time, where I'm spending my time, on who I am spending my time with. Is that the area God wants to bloom in my life? Song of Solomon 1.6 says, They made me a keeper of vineyards, but my own yard, my own garden, my own fruit trees are the things that I neglected. My own vineyard I have not kept. Here's what he was saying. I was so good at taking care of my grown kids. I was so good at pleasing my boss. Every time he or she asked me to work overtime, I just wanted to make sure they were happy. So I did that. 60 hours a week I was working. I made sure to take care of my friends and did what they expected of me. Every time this one called for a ride, I gave them a ride. Every time this one needed some money, I let them borrow some money. I did all these good things. But in the midst of those good things, I neglected the thing that God entrusted me with, which was my own vineyard. Um, in a few months, I'm going to be taking two of my kids um, on an airplane trip. We're going to New York for a few days to visit um, Mark's wife's parents. They have a place for us to stay. So I was telling my son Asher, and he's really scared. He's really nervous. 
So it brought back memories to my first plane ride. I was nine or ten years old, and my dad would go around the country and speak, so I would go with him, and I would quote, um, I, I, would, I would memorize chapters in the Bible. And so before he'd speak, I'd stand up, and I would just, just quote chapters right out of the Bible, just the whole chapter. And um, I remember my first plane ride, I had my Bible on my, on my thing there, and I had a joke book next to me. I couldn't decide if I wanted to be a comedian or a pastor. I chose both. And... Um, Anyway, that was a true story. But um, anyway, and so, um, so we're on the plane, and I'm real nervous. They, they crank up the plane. They get the pressure in the cabin corrected. The stewardess is up front saying where the exits are, doing like Dan. You know, the exits, the tithe boxes over here. And then I'll never forget, I was very intently listening to what she was saying. She put down the oxygen mask and showed everybody how to put it on your face and told you when to put it on. And she said this, if you're sitting next to a young child, Put the oxygen mask on yourself first and then put it on the child next to you. When she said that, I, almost, I said, what the heck did she just say, Dad? What are you, what, what's going on? Dad, you got you to take care of me. And my dad explained to me, if I put the oxygen mask on you first and something happens to me, I won't be here to help take care of you. The point is this, if I don't take care of myself I will not be equipped to take care of anybody else. And some of you are so busy running everybody else's vineyards in your life. Once the oxygen runs out, you're going to be dead and gone. What are they going to do? You're not taking care of yourself. And I'm not saying this in a selfish way. Please don't write me any emails. I'm not saying we always need to live for ourselves. I'm saying if you don't take care of yourself spiritually physically, mentally, emotionally, what good are you to all the other people God's put in your life? <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you like that. Um, listen, if you're in relationships in which you're doing all the giving and that person's not giving anything in return, you could be very much out of balance. I'm not saying to be rude to these people. I'm not saying to be mean. I'm just saying... <laughs> that a lot of times people just want what you can give them. They don't care about you too much. They really care about the resources you have that you're feeding them. It says in Proverbs 14, 7, the company of foolish people is a waste of time. This scripture interests me because it's in the Bible and it actually says there's a type of person that you are wasting your time with. That's so interesting to me. It almost we think, well, God, don't you? Don't, shouldn't we love people? Yes, we should love them. Shouldn't we help people? Yes, we should help them. Shouldn't we be givers? Yes, should, we should be givers. But there's some people that have things going on in their life. They need Jesus more than they need you, and they're looking to you to be their Jesus. Once you step out of that role, then they'll see Jesus and change and get help. Amen. I actually have um, four types of people who I always guard myself with, I guard my heart with, and I, I've learned how to just back away and not spend time with these groups of people. Now, you make your own list. I'm going to show you my list. They're not, I don't have the names of people. I have, <laughs> here's the names of people that I don't want to spend. It's the types of person. You make your own list, okay? Number one, people that have continuous drama in their life. If this continuous drama I've learned, no matter how good of a pastor I am or how good of a friend I am, I cannot help them. They always got a thing for drama. Until they learn to get rid of all that drama, there's nothing I can do. Number two, people that get easily offended. 
They're always getting their feelings hurt about something. You have to walk on eggshells around them. Did I hurt your feelings today? Did I say something you didn't like today? Did I offend you today? I just stay away. Number three, negatively opinionated people. They don't want to learn. They don't want to grow. They don't want to understand. They just want to air their negative opinions about everything. Number four, people who resist authority. Um, you can't help them. They don't want to hear anything different. They, they're right about every single thing they do. There's nothing you can do to help them or change them. So I just wave at them from a distance and tell them I love them from way over here. And I pray for them, but I don't hang out with them. Proverbs 24, 21, it says, don't associate with those who rebel against leaders. You make your own list. Um, I found that we can even get out of balance in spiritual areas. In fact, I would dare say the most out of balance people I see are the spiritual people or the people that act spiritual. Um, it's really good to give. It's really good to help, but you can't do that out of balance. It's good to come to church on Sunday morning and serve your local body church, okay? But it's not good to come to Bible study, prayer meeting, choir, and everything else while your husband or your wife is at home and you're neglecting their needs. It's good to come to church and help people and do things, but not at the expense of your marriage. Not at the expense of your children. Your children will only be the age that they are once. You'll never get that time ever back with them, ever. It's good for us to pray for people. But if someone's always coming up to you and they're always got a prayer for you, let me pray for you, let me pray for you, let me pray for you, listen real close because they could be trying to manipulate you with their words. Sometimes overly spiritual people will use prayers to try to get you to do what they want you to do. They're trying to give you advice and using prayer to do it. Be very careful, stay away. It's good to pray in tongues. It's in the Bible. We have a Bible college course about it. It's real. It's from God. But when you pray in tongues around unbelievers, the Bible says they will think that you are mad. If you want to turn somebody off really quick, start prophesying, praying over them, speaking in tongues when they don't even know anything about Jesus. You can't use weird lingo, Christian lingo, that only Christians understand around non-Christians. It's weird and it's out of balance. Um, it says in 1 Corinthians 9.22, Paul said, I become all things to all people so I can save as many as I can. Here's what Paul was saying. I try to get down to their level when I want to witness to them. When I want to bring somebody to Jesus, I befriend them. I don't tell them what they're doing wrong. I don't judge them because I'm more spiritual than they are. I don't use weird lingo that they don't understand. I just befriend them and I encourage them to draw them closer to the things of God. We have to constantly reevaluate every season, every relationship, because things change. If you're single and you're here today, you cannot expect your married friend to have the same amount of time that you have. If you're here and you have children, and the more children you have, the more time you got to spend with them. And, and, and I'm very, man, I, I get so convicted to make sure I spend each child the same amount of time with each child. I feel real bad when I spend too much with one and not enough with the other. It's a balance. And every season of your life is changing because uh, things change and you got to rebalance the scales in your life. So I wanted to put together another visual to help you really see how, um, how important every day of your life is and how important it is that you learn how to balance your scales properly so you don't waste time in the life that God's given you. Because every day you spend is a piece of your destiny. 
Therefore, you have to make sure you're accomplishing not your parents' destiny for your life, not your friend's destiny for your life, not even your pastor's destiny for your life. You have to make sure you're accomplishing what Jesus Christ has asked you to do in your life, okay? So, if you live to be 90 years old, okay? If you live, if you live to be 90 years old, you will spend 40 years of your life sleeping and working. That represents, each ball represents five years. That represents, let's that be eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Forty years of your life. Forty years of your life is spent sleeping and working. If you live to be 90 years old, okay? Fifteen years of your life is driving in a car, eating, going to the bathroom, and cleaning. That's 15 years of your life right there. For some of y'all, it's more. I'm just kidding, but that's 15 years of your life right there. Um, you will spend 20 years of your life on your cell phone, looking at social media, and watching TV. Cell phone, social media, and watching TV. You will spend 10 years of your life complaining Reading and writing emails, I know for some of y'all more than others, looking for misplaced objects and waiting in line, whether it's in your car or whether it's um, standing up somewhere. That is 10 years of your life. This is if you live to be 90, which means God, your marriage, your children, your church, exercise, prayer, the friends God's put in your life, the things he's called you to do, that's five years of a 90-year life. Now, even mathematically, did it as far as days go, 13 days a year. 13 days every year you get to spend on your God-given destiny. Doesn't that sober you up very quickly? 13 days a year is all you get. If, if this, is, and this is for most Americans. This survey was done for Americans. Most Americans. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Strip off every unnecessary weight that entangles us. Run the appointed course that is set before us. Unnecessary weights are everywhere. Every, you get invited to unnecessary weights every week. You get phone calls from unnecessary weights every week. You get um, uh, Facebook invites. You get asked. You get, there's, there's relationships in your life that are unnecessary weights. You cannot spend time with this person over here and with your spouse at the same time. It doesn't work like that. You can't be in two places at once. You can't, you can't study to become a better parent or you can't study and, and go to Bible college or you can't, whatever God's calling you to do, and, and hang out with this person every night. You can't do both. You got to choose. You got to choose. One of the best ways we can learn how to stay in balance is to learn the word no. And I don't mean that wrong. I don't mean that. I don't mean you'd be rude. I don't, I don't mean no. You just, you know, I'm sorry. I can't do it. I'm sorry. I can't be there. Um, no matter how long you've been part of that group, no matter how long you've been a part of that group, at some point in your life, you might have to say no. No matter how many years you've been on that sports team, Sooner or later, you might have to say, no matter how many times you've been hanging out with that friend or giving them a ride to work or bailing them out, sooner or later, you might have to say no. So learn the word. It's an easy word. Two letters, N-O, 
You can do it. I believe that you can do it. And the people that get upset with you when you do say no are the people that are most likely trying to control you and manipulate you. They don't care about you getting in balance. They just want what you can do for them. Now, I put together a little bit of a, a timeline thingy to kind of give you some more hope in life, okay? So I figured this out. You can do it on your own, but here's what I think. If you will eat one meal a day with either your spouse, your children, or someone that you know God's put you in relationship with, if you will communicate with your spouse during commercials, mute the TV, how was your day? Affirm each other, talk to each other. If you will thank God instead of complain. If you will listen to sermons or worship music during your drive time, which builds your faith. If you will pray while you're cleaning. If you'll read your Bible when you're on the can. <laughs> I've just given you back 20 years of your life. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. 20 years. I just gave you back 20 years of God-given fruitful living. But only you can make the decision to do it. Um, <clears throat> I was reading years ago about eagles. Something very um, unusual about them is when they're born, they have this solution that's behind their eyes. And uh, once the little eaglet gets to the point where it can um, leave its nest and have its own home, around that time in its life, the solution hardens behind its eyes. And it becomes an internal line between the North Pole and where the eagle's nest is, where its home is. In fact, the eagle can be taken captive or even fly up to a thousand miles away from its home a thousand miles and once you release it it can still find its way back to its nest all because of this what you might call like an equilibrium type thing behind its head the way it works is it's an internal compass internal compass that gives it the north pole and its home and anytime the eagle is away from its home the further it gets away from its nest the more this low-level pain starts to happen in its head. The further it gets away, the more the pain grows. It gets worse and worse and worse. All the eagle has to do is very simply change course. That's it. Just change its course. Once it starts heading back to its home, the pain begins to subside and gets less and less and less and less. I think there's some of you here today You've been experiencing a very low-level spiritual pain in your life and you can't quite put your finger on it. Something that's just been bothering you and you think, well, I'm doing so good over here and I'm helping this person here and I'm hanging out with this person here and I'm a part of this group here. And you think, well, I'm doing all these good things, but you're still experiencing some type of a, a pain that you can't quite understand. I believe that maybe you're out of balance and if you will simply... Just change course, learn to say no, learn to prune back the things that aren't bearing fruit. I believe that pain will start to subside. It says in Proverbs 4.25, keep your eyes ahead, fixed with purpose. Ignore all distractions. Um, distractions can be good things in life. And I'll use myself as an example. Because I'm a husband and because I have five children, um, those people come before anybody else in my life. I've made the mistake of putting other people before them in the past. Can't do it anymore. Um, what that means is, is if you are on your deathbed and your last and final wish is that your pastor come and pray with you and you have a check for a million dollars to the building fund, if I will just show up right before you die, but one of my kids is in a recital 
or there at a soccer game, you're going to have to go on and go to glory without me. I'll send you a prayer text, but I'm not going to be there. I don't care how important it is to you, how much you beg and plead. I cannot put any of you before my children or my wife. Um, and you should not ever want your pastor to do that, ever. You should never ask him to do that. You have to understand, if you're not married and someone is married, uh, you can't expect them to hang out with you as much as you're able to hang out with them because they have other priorities. And when someone has children... Uh, you have to think, when, you, when they're hanging out with you or ministering to you or helping you, that's minutes of their life that they're not with their children. Most likely, you're still going to be going through something again the next year and the final year. We always go through negative things, but their children will only be that age one time. Um, as a pastor, um, every pastor has different callings and gifts. Some pastors are incredible at one-on-one -on -one discipleship. Some pastors are really good at evangelism, and they love to bring in the lost and get people saved. Um, me as a pastor, my highest gifting is uh, speaking on Sunday mornings, which I'm sure you're thinking I cannot tell, but it is, and I'm growing. And then um, my second highest is training up leaders. And so I have to learn how to say no to other good things that go on in church. You think, I wish John Paul would start this over here and we'd have this area. You can start areas of ministry, but I know what my top two things are every single week. If I don't have my sermon complete, and if any of my leaders need me, then nothing else matters to, uh, at the church. There's other good things I want to do in church, other people I want to help, other people I want to meet with, but every minute I'm doing that is a minute that I'm not working on my sermon and that I'm not helping our leaders. Um, a lot of people, they love to ask for help every single week. Pastor, help me, help me, help me, help me. If you would simply listen to the sermon on Sunday morning and take notes, that would be so much bigger of a help to your life than hanging out with me on the side. I'm not fun to hang out with. You will not like me. I will offend you. I am not cool. I am a dork. Do not ask to hang out with me. <laughs> anyway, what was I talking about? Um, oh, you know what? Let me tell you something God told me whenever I was um, writing my hell notebook. i never forget God said this to me. He said, John Paul, on your day of judgment, when you're facing, when you're face to face with God, None of these other people are going to be standing next to you. None of them. Not a single one of your friends. Not a single one of your mentors. Nobody's going to stand next. The only person that's going to stand next to you on your day of judgment is Jesus Christ. So you better make sure you are doing what Jesus Christ wants you to do and not what anybody else in your life is asking you to do above that. Very important. I've discovered if I don't determine... How I'm going to spend my life, somebody else will. If I don't make a decision, here are my priorities. Here's what God's called me to do. Here's what's going to happen this season of my life. If I don't determine that, someone else will. Do you know who will? If you don't, whoever screams the loudest in your life. That'll be who determines. Or whoever has the strongest personality of your friends. And it's not their fault. If they talk you into doing things that's not part of your... It's not their fault. It's your fault for not learning how to say no last story and I'll let you go in uh, Luke chapter 10 <laughs> Mary and Martha two sisters invited Jesus over for dinner I mean it was such imagine the son of God is coming to their house eat dinner with them Martha was getting everything fixed just right I mean she was making sure the food was cooked to perfection just like Jesus wanted it. She made sure the house was clean. Martha was so excited to have Jesus come over so she could prepare a meal for him. She had all the best china laid out. 
or in their case, they called it Egypt. They had all the best Egypt laid out. That was a theological joke that I knew none of y'all would get, but it was so funny to me on the inside. I've been laughing all week about it. Get it? China, Egypt, because there's not China. I mean, there was, but it wasn't part of. Listen, after you go to Bible college, you'll laugh at that joke. You will laugh at that joke. Um, anyway, so Martha's so busy. Martha wanted everything to be just right. And she was making them. And she looked around. And she thought, where is Mary? She's supposed to be helping me. And she's looking all around the house. Mary, Mary. And then all of a sudden, she walks in the living room. And Mary is sitting down at the feet of Jesus, just relaxing and enjoying his time. Just, you know, they're telling, maybe Jesus is telling her the China joke about, eat. I don't know, but they're talking. We don't know what they're saying, but she's having, and then Martha is furious. She's so upset. In verse 40, it says this, Martha was overly occupied and too busy worrying about all the work she had to do. So she said to Jesus, Lord, do you not care that my sister left me alone to serve? You tell her. You, Jesus, you correct her. You better let her know that she needs to come in there and help. Martha thought for sure, this is my big moment. Jesus is going to correct her and tell her that I'm right and that she's wrong and she can't be done. She needs to be in there to help me. Martha was doing a good thing. She wasn't doing anything bad. She was making food for Jesus. Right? I mean, that's not bad. That's a good thing. What's he going to eat if she doesn't make the food? In verse 41, Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you're so anxious and troubled about a lot of stuff going on in your life, honey. But the one thing, one thing, not two things, not three, not four, there's one thing that is essential in this moment in time. And Mary chose the best. Jesus was saying, you know there's a lot of stuff you could be doing. But with every minute of your life, there's always going to be one thing that's essential. And in this case, Mary chose the best. I find that the good and keep us from God's best. I didn't say bad things. I didn't say sins. I said there's actually good things that keep us from God's best. You know, the first time I studied this story, it was 10 years ago. I was, um, I was 30 years old, and um, I, was, I was so excited to learn this point and, and receive this. And I remember I asked God specifically. I said, God, I don't quite understand it. Because I'm a very hard worker, I'm very productive, I like to accomplish things. So explain to me, God, um, who was going to cook the meal? I mean, if Martha chose the essential thing with Mary, and they both just sat at the feet of your son, what are y'all going to eat? Who's going to take care of business? Who's going to do this? I mean, like, who's going who's gonna, to who's gonna make it? What, what were y'all going to do? And Jesus said this to me. Not out loud, but deep in my spirit, he said, it would be better to have no food on the table and spend time with me in that moment that I was available than to have a five-course meal from New York Prime and miss out on what was best. Let me modernize that for you. 
It's better to live in a one-bedroom apartment and drive a Pinto, but spend time with your spouse and your children and not miss out on their special events. It is better for you to work at McDonald's and get minimum wage all through the week and be in church on Sunday morning serving and worshiping God with fellow believers than to make a million dollars every Sunday and miss out on what is essential. It would be better for you it would be better for you to live at the campground in a tent and have a great marriage than for you to be the CEO of the most popular corporation in the world and have a horrible marriage. You got to choose one or the other. You have to. I know, last point, there, I read a book years ago by Bonnie Ware. She's a, she was a hospice nurse for 40, 50 years. She spent the last 12 weeks with people before they died. She began somehow to, to connect with them on a level that no other hospice nurse did. And before they passed away, the last question she would ask them, while they were still coherent, she'd say, what was your greatest regret in life? She wrote all the regrets out and she wrote a book about it. Do you know the second highest regret among all these people who she interviewed was this, I missed out on my children's youth and my wife's companionship for the sake of work. You know the number one highest regret? It kind of shocked me a little bit. The number one highest regret was this, I wish I had had the courage to see my dreams fulfilled and not live the life that everybody else wanted me to live. You can have anything you want in life, but you can't have everything you want in life. You can have anything. You can have a really incredible business. You know, you can work 65 hours a week and make a lot of money. You can do that and have it. But you can't do that and have children that get to spend time with their father and mother. You can grow spiritually and become used by God in mighty ways that you didn't even think were possible in your life. No matter how old you are, you can still step into a divine destiny you didn't even realize was as big as you. You can't even imagine the things God wants to use your life for. God could do so many great things through you, for you, in you, but you can't do that and hang out at the wrong places with the wrong people wasting your time. You can't do both, but I will tell you this, whatever you choose is what you're going to get.